0: Some others here now. Really, we could. I could. I guess I, I could have talked to the kids about marriage because uh, sooner or later, many of those little ones are going to be married too. And some of you are a little bit older, and that sooner or later is coming upon you a little more quickly. Uh, some of you are already married. Uh, some of you um, have been married, and uh, there's 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 a lot of questions in our our culture today about marriage, aren't there? There's a lot of questions being asked. There's a lot of assumptions being made. Uh, it's a topic, but, but you could almost suggest, perhaps, that, that the right questions, in the midst of all the questions being asked, the right questions might be being overlooked. Uh, it's interesting, in the book of First Corinthians, we're spending a little time going through the book of First Corinthians, and we're in chapter 7. And chapter 7 is about marriage. But chapter 7 also starts something new in the book of First Corinthians. You see, the book of 1 Corinthians is is a book or a letter written in response. It's a book that was written because a church asked Paul some questions. And the first questions that they asked had to do with marriage. Now think about that for a minute. Why would that be? Why would that be when questions come up When questions are going to get asked, what does God say about, for these people, some of the first questions that arose were questions, does anybody have have some things going on in marriage that you'd like to know how God is going to sort this out? What does God have to say about this? Because this is confusing, this is uncertain, I don't know what to do. Anybody identify with that? You don't want to say so out loud. I understand. I don't want to say so out loud either. But, um... Uh, one of the things I, 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 tell, I tell young couples when we're talking about getting married, and, they, and uh, one of the questions we get asked along the way is, is uh, do, do you agree or not agree with this statement? I love everything about my spouse or the one who's going to be my spouse. And uh, oh, so often, it's so cute, they say, yes, absolutely everything. So you don't have a clue. You don't know hardly anything yet. How could you love everything? You don't really know a person until you get married. And then the fun starts. And it's an adventure of life through that. But how you navigate that um, it determines really what the destination looks like or or what the raft ride looks like along the way, okay because um, well yeah, i 'm I'm, I'm drawing an analogy with a with a white water now you 're thinking, well, why does marriage have to be like white water? Well, sometimes you get into this current, you jump in with one other person in the boat with you, and you don 't know what the river ahead yet looks like that 's the thing you don 't know. If there are rapids, we could probably assume that there will be. But we don't know when they're coming. We don't know exactly what they're going to look like, how we navigate through. Well, the church at Corinth asked Paul some questions. It's funny because at the same time, they didn't seem to to have a higher opinion of themselves than they did of Paul, and yet they still had some questions for him. We know that because chapter 1 and verse 1 starts out, Now concerning... And one of the things I want you to keep in mind as we go into this chapter is what I put on that that question of a statement I put on the bulletin on the front page. Marriage, it's not about me. Because we easily enter, I still remember the wise words, an older man, I, I heard him say, he wasn't talking to me in particular when he said it, but it, it, it was good for me, so good for me. He said, "We, you don't really love her he said i didn't really love my wife when i got married i wanted her and it's different to love her is to say i want what's best i want to devote my life to what's best for her that's to love her to give myself for her Rather, I was so enraptured by this lady that I wanted her for me for the rest of my life. I couldn't imagine what life would be without her. I wanted her for me. And that's a good start, but it's also a selfish start, isn't it? And when when that blossoms into what real love is, which is I want to give, I so love her that I want to give myself for her, that's when marriage is no longer about me. It's still for me. It's God's gracious gift for me. And yet has become much deeper than it first started or what I first imagined it was all about. So we're going to talk about marriage this morning. We're going to to jump into this first now concerning. And I want you to understand as well that there are certain questions about marriage that they asked him. Certain things that were being said. Certain assumptions that they had. And they're checking this out with Paul. Is this right? The first one is kind of weird in our mindset. First question was something like this: Some were saying, "Is it good to be fully married?" What do you mean, fully married? Well, is it good? Here we're married, but now we're we're Christians, and we understand the the spiritual reality. We understand God's kingdom that is coming, and this this world is passing away. and And we're not to we're not to uh, pursue the desires of the flesh and of this life, and so. Well, there's part of those desires are within marriage. And so should we put all that on the shelf? And should we, should we have a, a brother and sister in Christ relationship instead of being fully married? Because is it to be fully married and all that marriage includes, is that a distraction from spiritual things? Some of you are thinking, oh, no, please, No. That's a question that's being asked, but I I, I want to put that up front because when we enter 1 Corinthians 7, the first several verses sounds like Paul has a very strange and low view of marriage. He thinks marriage is really just about because you cannot meet temptations otherwise, you better be married so you have somebody so you won't be tempted. But he's answering particular, what if somebody's trying to be in their marriage not fully married anymore because they think that's better? That's what he's addressing. So let's read that now that I've got your curiosity up like what in the world are we talking about? Let's, let's pray and read. Father, open your word to us. Lord, speak not merely into a historical uh, instance of Corinth because none of us are there, but Lord, speak into our lives because all of us are here. Lord, we are here in some way in what is described in this passage. Whether it's things that are in a marriage right now, whether it's, it's a marriage that might be in our future. Lord, whether it's how we will relate to others in the midst of their marriage. Lord, would you speak to us that out of this wonderful thing you've given us called marriage, Lord, that we might not only know how to relate well together, but Lord, how we also might know you more in this relationship you've given us. Lord, so open your word and that there we might see wonderful things, things of you for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. I should have told you that's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 1. And we're on, if you're using the Pew Bible, I want you to follow along with me because there'll be some things to say here, and you're going to say, did it really say that? And yes, it does. So, uh, if, if you're following along in a Pew Bible, we're on page 955. First Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 7.1 Now concerning the matters about which you wrote Is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? Or actually I, Sorry, I misread that. You wrote, and then there's quotation marks. They're saying it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Was well, that true, Paul? For any man, even a married man But because of temptation, here he starts his answer, to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband The husband should give to his wife her conjugal or marriage rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. That you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all of you were as myself, as I myself am, but each has his own gifting from God, one of one kind, one another. To the married and the widows I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am if they're so gifted, as he's described, as as he is. But if they cannot exercise that self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be consumed with passion. We'll pause there. First of all, I would say this. Concerning marriage, Paul's advice is enjoy what God has given and he does acknowledge to some extent that idea is it is it good for a man to set himself apart and not be married and not be in physical relationship with a woman and devote himself to the lord he's going to he's going to talk to that further is that good well sure that's good if god has so called and gifted you that way but his assumption is the norm unless god has 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 um has gifted you in an out of the norm or in, differently than population at large, then the norm is to have relationship that is fulfilled in marriage as it was from the beginning. This is not a matter of the fall. This is not a matter of because we're subject to temptation. That's not Paul's view of marriage. Paul's view of marriage starts in Genesis chapter 2. It is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for him to be alone. I will make a compliment suitable for him. And he will learn about relationship with her, she and he together, in ways that they will learn about relationship and fellowship with me. That's Paul's view of marriage. It's a high view of marriage. It's a God-centered view of marriage. It's a view of marriage that's filled out in Ephesians chapter 5, that the husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He says, worship occurs in the marriage relationship. Worship occurs in that self-sacrificial giving of one to another in marriage. That's worship. That's where you demonstrate and live out to the rest of the world how it is that Christ loves and cares for and nurtures his bride, the church. He has a high view of marriage. He said "This this is a special relationship that God has given us. Enjoy what God has given. Enjoy what God has given as god has given it i i I thought about that simple statement a lot enjoy i'm not just saying enjoy those things that occur in marriage i'm not just talking about enjoy physical intimacy enjoy it as god has given it for some of you and we're going to get into this a little later in the chapter he addresses those who are are not yet married and so it is not yet given we talked some about that last week. But enjoy what God has given within the parameters that he has given it. Why is it that physical relationships, physical intimacy is, intimacy is such a powerful thing and thus it is, we are so subject to temptation? Why is that the case, you think? This is, a, this is a, a core human need, not because the physical aspect of it is such a core human need. The connection, the intimacy the heart-to-heart, person-to-person, that deep level of intimacy, emotional intimacy, is what is so important for us. We are not meant to be islands. We are not meant to be alone. And that need for one another, is not good for man to be alone, underscores it is not good for humanity to be, to be alone apart from God. And so that need of intimacy in relationship, that deep, special intimacy that is fulfilled in a promise covenant relationship where you can be open and genuine and trusting and give yourself even vulnerably to the other person and you're safe there and that person cares for you and you care for them and you're seeking to, to please the other rather than and here is where the whole physical intimacy has gone so askew in our culture our culture sees that whole physical intimacy piece as seeking to fulfill my own needs, seeking to seek out my own pleasure. But you see, when that's the case, when it's about fulfilling my own needs, when it's about seeking my own pleasure, it also then becomes using another and it becomes physical without intimacy. Well, there might be an intimate physical act, but it's no longer that intimacy, that relational intimacy that it's supposed to have. You see how God has designed this thing, but how, and, and what Satan normally does with most anything good, he doesn't think up things on his own. Satan doesn't create something out of nothing. He takes what God has made, he takes that which is good, and he twists it or he corrupts it or he turns it away in a different manner that will be harmful. It's, it's not unlike, this is a very powerful human emotional need. It's not unlike the river the river that's just to the south of us when that river is within its banks it is a powerful thing and it can be a wonderful thing and you can do great things on the river and the river provides energy and force that is very useful to us our homes are lit and heated the refrigerator works the the uh, hamburgers were kept cool until we grilled them this afternoon all of that because we have electricity out of the power of that river right but when that river leaves its defined channels if that river were to overflow its banks, the same river, the same power, now instead of being good, becomes destructive. It's like electricity itself that comes from the river and our hydro- hydroelectric power. Electrici- I learned this a while ago. I was in electronics in the Air Force. Some of you know that. I-, I-, I learned that electricity can be a good thing and electricity can be a very scary thing. As long as you keep electricity in the wires, it's a good thing, Right? As long as you keep the electricity in the channels that it's meant to be in, it's a good thing. When you take that electricity and you move it out of those channels, out of those wires, when electricity gets out of the wires and into people, for instance, all of a sudden electricity is a bad thing. So the same thing in the channels where it's intended to be is a good and powerful thing. That's, that's what's true about a physical intimacy in marriage. God has intended this to be a good thing. You know, there's a song. I remember this song from my high school days. and This was a long time ago. Forgive me. It went something like this. I want you to want you, me. I need you to need me. I'd love for you to love me. Do you remember that? How many of you remember that? Oh, shame on you. I want you to want me. Yeah, okay. Maybe maybe it's not a good thing to um, base any instruction on marriage from a band named Cheap Trick. Huh? <laughs> but there's something about isn't there something in us that says I want you to want me? yeah and and shouldn't that be fulfilled in that promise covenant safe loving and giving myself for the other relationship even when marriage hasn't been like that even when marriage hasn't been what it was supposed to be we all knew even when I saw it I I saw marriage fall apart in my own house in my in my parents marriage I still knew it isn't supposed to be like that it's supposed to be different we know something about what it's supposed to be caring for one another in intimacy seeking one another's good in a God-ordained and blessed way and this 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 isn't just for newlyweds this is something that continues through life Agatha Christie Agatha Christie was married to an archaeologist I don't know if you knew that but Agatha Christie said that being married to an archaeologist was the best possible husband a woman could have you know why because the older she got, the more interested in her she, he was. Physical, <laughs> you can identify with that, okay? Paul says singleness is good, but he says marriage is, is better. It's supposed to be better. And, and you continue to care for one another. And there's, there are several, several suggestions that could be made, even out of these few verses that we've read so far, concerning marriage. Verse 2 spoke of temptation. The first guideline I would give you in marriage is be protective. Be protective. Guard yourselves. Guard one another. But guard yourself from distraction and temptation. Draw boundaries. Draw lines that protect this special and unique relationship that you have with one verse 3 he says every every man should should have his own wife own wife and it's singular there each woman should have her own husband and in the midst of that he said to enjoy one another so not only be protective but fathers it's father's day you're going to thank me for this be playful Go ahead. We are supposed to enjoy this aspect of relationship and not just for a little bit of time. We we need to look for ways to cultivate that. Not in weird and strange ways. Communicate together. Be protective. Be playful. Be polite or respectful. Caring for one another. Loving one another. Be polite. be, Be positive. Affirming. How can I build the other one up? in ways that strengthens our relationship together. Paul mentions in verse 5, in seasons of time, one of the reasons you might not come together is because you're devoting yourselves to a season of prayer. So prayer and fasting could involve um, also fasting from this aspect of your relationship, but only for as long as you're going to be fasting, and then come together again. Be protective, be playful, polite, be positive, be in prayer, and in verse 10... To the married I give this charge, the wife should not separate from her husband. If she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. To the husband, he should not divorce his wife. I would say be persistent. So some of the best advice my wife and I were given before we were married was don't use the vocabulary of divorce in your relationship, in your conversations, in your arguments, ever. Do not bring it up. Do not entertain that ever as a viable possibility. And that presses you instead toward. Our, our, our culture, our society has made divorce. Divorce, uh, um, Christ explained it, that because of sin, there is an avenue and there is a process for divorce and there is protection for the wrong spouse if that happens. But it is not supposed to be the normal. It's not supposed to be the viable option. It's not supposed to be a normal means of problem solving. And again, I, I say this coming from a family that experienced it. And some of you have come from a family or a marriage that experienced it. And so what I say here is not meant to condemn, it's meant to really agree together. We know the hurt, don't we? We know the cost of it, don't we? And so we would affirm that from this day forward, from here in the now, we want to for ourselves and we want to encourage others together to try to, in the midst of this fallen world and culture, to try to strive together for what marriage is supposed to be. Not beating anybody down because of what their marriage was it, but to, to pull together. If we say we are for marriage, and we want to define that even we are for traditional marriage, well, are we for it or are we, are we merely against something else? We don't want to be merely against something else. We, want, we don't want to merely be against how this is misdefined in our culture today. We want to be for marriage and encouraging and strengthening one another in it in the ways that it's supposed to be. Marriage is not about me. Marriage is first of all about meeting my spouse's needs, and that's 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 in terms of of communicating together. Mar- Anybody have trouble with communication in marriage? I was I was reading an interesting thing about uh, he was a sociologist from Austria, not so far away. Uh, who was working in Siberia and apparently he was a he was a fairly nice looking young man eligible bachelor in the town in Siberia and he kept getting confused by these giggling young ladies who would come to his door they would knock on his door and they would pelt him with dead lice and they would giggle and look a little awkward and embarrassed and well it was a little awkward and embarrassed to be pelted with dead lice don't you think it's a little weird thing. He didn't realize at the time what was going on, but being a sociologist, he figured it out. What was going on was in that society, the way that a maiden would express herself as interested and available for courtship was to throw dead lice on somebody. I guess if it was somebody you weren't interested in, you'd throw live lice? i, I Don't know how this works. But to me, what caught my attention in the story is that is so male-female. That is so husband and wife in terms of communication, isn't it? Wow, sometimes you haven't got a clue what's going on. And I can speak speak about this from the men's side. But I have been told that we are just as hard to figure out. Or maybe we are way too oversimplified that they think they have us figured out and they think they know just what it's about but they're still missing the complexities that actually are there. It's been said that men are waffles and women are spaghetti but maybe our little waffle grids are deeper than we realize as well. But marriage is about spending a lifetime trying to figure it out. How do I give myself in meeting my spouse's needs? And as you do that, what are you doing? You're practicing spirituality, you are practicing the Essence of Christ likenessness, giving yourself for another. Well, there's a bunch more questions they ask you, and I've spent a lot of time on one. First, the next thing I want to say is make your marriage a place where God's faithful love is lived out. Make your marriage a place where you see God's ongoing faithfulness even in the midst of trouble. Um, I had a quote here that's really, if I can find it, that's really worth sharing at this point. Oh, there it is. Somebody said about marriage. I think it's fairly obvious why I was married. As strange as it may sound, I'm a very moral woman. I was taught by my parents that if you fall in love, if you want to have a love affair, you get married. Good advice. I guess I'm very old-fashioned. Now, who, who was that? Elizabeth Taylor. After seven marriages and five divorces in the San Francisco Chronicle, She's very pro marriage. She's all for it. In fact, she, she she was so for marriage, she did it seven times. Well, that that could happen, but uh, ideally, marriage is so good, let's make this one last. That's what he says here. He says verse 10 to the married I get, and he says to the married ones in verse 12. And then in verse 12 he says to the rest I say, And he's still talking to a brother who has a wife, and uh, then he talks to a woman who has a husband, In verse 13. Those are the people who are the rest. Well, who's he talking about to the married and then to the rest? To the married, verse 10, refers to two Christians who are married. Two Christians who are married should stay married. And if for some reason things arise that they're not able to stay married, he says that if they separate, they should not remarry unless they are reconciled again not separate, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. The husband, likewise, should not divorce his wife, and all the rest applies. That that the, I, the intention, what Paul has to say, because he has something to say morally to each Christian, is they should stay married. They should be able to, and that goes back to chapter 6, we ought to be able to make this work if the redemption in Christ is true. Now, sometimes that relationship in Christ and that one who was a, quote, Christian, it doesn't It didn't seem to turn out that they were. Everybody thought they were, and yet they seemingly walked away from their faith and their covenant. It's not supposed to be. As much as is in you, as much as is in you, make your marriage a place where God's faithful love is lived out. Married Christians, don't divorce. If you do, pursue reconciliation. Now, he's speaking in broad categories. Like I said before, I'm not going to be able to answer to every potential scenario. I know there are all kinds of scenarios. And you have somebody in mind, you have a concern, you're thinking, what about? I would love to speak to some of those situations if they're real and, and if these are matters of the heart that you're, you're in the midst of and need some counsel on. I would love to help with you and pray with you through those things. Uh, but we can't do that in the whole group setting, obviously. Unless anybody wants to raise a hand. No, of course, we don't want to do that here, but uh, please use that white card. Take that opportunity. We would love to, as a church spend that time. That's why some of our elders or some of the others in the church have, have, uh, have gone through the, the marriage team coaching training to be able to coach and mentor others that we can be in this together for the glory of God in our relationships. Now you also find in verses 12 and following Christians who are married to non-Christians. Now how that happened in Corinth is you had two pagans. You had two unbelievers. They went to the idol temple. They celebrated the feast. They, they worshipped the Greek and Roman gods. And then one of them goes and gets saved. One of them is born again. And the other, the one who still wants to go to the temples and hang out and sacrifice to idols and have all that fun, is thinking, hey, I didn't sign up for this Christian stuff. I didn't sign up for this born again. I wanted a wife who would party with me. I wanted a wife who would do this. I wanted a husband who would do these things. And they didn't sign up for that. Things have changed. Yeah, they have, hopefully. Hopefully, when we are born again, we change. We change in those ways that God intends us to and as much as is with you he says here to rest i say if not the lord if a brother who has a wife who is an unbeliever and she contends to live with him he should not divorce her likewise if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever but he consents to live with her she should not divorce him for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife it doesn't mean you're ma- you're saved because you're married to a christian but there is a sanctifying influence that, that husband is set apart to the gospel and exposure to it through the wife or vice versa the through the believing spouse and the children as well are if one of the spouses is a believer that parent is going to be bringing that influence of the gospel to the children and sharing faith with them and if the marriage is dissolved and the children go with the unbelieving spouse where is the opportunity any longer to do that so he gives a couple of reasons and yet you're not you're not bound if the unbelieving spouse chooses to leave and we see that a lot we see that a lot. sometimes we see it as a matter of pretense that a person pretended to believe but then did not, and it becomes evident over time. Or, or we see it just in the sense that that, um, um, well, even just as described here, and and the, and the faith becomes a dividing point that the unbeliever will no longer endure. And you have no control over that. And he says you're not bound in such a case. So there's, a, there's an opportunity there even for divorce and remarriage. I say opportunity, that's the wrong word. But there's room there. There's permission given for that. How do you know how it's going to play out is one of the, one of the ways, ways that concludes. But make your marriage a place as much as is with me. Marriage is not about me. Marriage is about displaying God's faithful covenant love. Now, a third point here that we often miss in the discussion of marriage is find your fulfillment in the Lord, not a better deal. Interestingly, a lot of times with young people, we think that if only I was married, that would make everything better. Look at, look at verse 17. Only let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to him to which God is called this is my rule in all the churches this is a life principle was anyone at the time of his call circumcised let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision was anyone at the time of his calling being saved uncircumcised let him not seek circumcision Neither circumcision counts or uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of god each one should remain in the condition in which he was called were you a slave when you were called do not be concerned about it now, if you can gain your freedom avail yourself of the opportunity being free versus slave is a good thing paul's for it but you don't find your fulfillment in that change of circumstances. He who was called in the Lord is a slave, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Oh, and now he's going to move in that discussion. He's going to move into if anyone is single don't seek to be married. If anyone is, is married, don't seek to be single. What is he doing? He's taking that principle and saying this, you will not find happiness. You will not find your fulfillment in changing your circumstances. We so easily think if only I, and we fill in the blank in some way, Anyway, if only this were different, if only that were changed, if only, one of the other questions I ask young couples, do you think that God has this one person for you? Do you think that this is the one person, and often starry-eyed, oh, yes, and here she is. Oh, no, here she is. Here she is. Oh, this one person. And then you wake up a few years from now and you said, Man, I was confused. I don't know what I was on. I still think there's the one person. And this obviously is not it. That's the problem with that thinking. It's looking for the one person. It's looking for the right person instead of being the right person. That's a romantic notion that we want to grab onto, but the emphasis in Scripture is never, never, I find nowhere does it tell you to find the right person to be married to. There's a lot in Scripture that talks about being the right person to be married to. We will not find fulfillment when we are pursuing our own pleasure or benefit or better circumstances by changing the circumstances that we are in. We will find our fulfillment as God has made us to find it and that whole that, 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 that is within our heart for Him will find our fulfillment and in the whatever circumstances we can trust and abide in our Savior even there. When that's the case, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain contentment is huge. Speaking of contentment, the American dream. If you don't have a lot, you, you, you feel like if you had just a little bit more, then things would be good, right? Well, a survey, well, it surveyed households where the household income was $45,000. How much income would you need? Think about the American dream what income would you need? As as they described the American dream and they quantified what those things that the household, the people were describing, they they discovered that a household with an income of $45,000 in today's money would need an income of $97,000 if they were really going to achieve the American dream or their version of it. Oh, so a household where they make more than that Let's go to the other side. Let's say a household where their income is 180000 They should be fine, right? No. A household where the present annual income was 180000 they would need roughly $345,000 a year if they were going to truly achieve their version of the American dream. There's no contentment. There is no satisfied. It doesn't matter what you change your circumstances to. If you're looking for the circumstances to be the fulfillment, you will not find it. That's the point. We cannot find fulfillment in our circumstances. We will find a fulfillment in walking with the Lord in the midst of these circumstances, and he will bring blessing there. Howard Hughes said, How much money, Howard Hughes was asked, How much money do you need? And Hughes replied, Just a little bit more. Just, just just, a little more. We are never satisfied in the circumstances and the stuff that we have. And yet we can be. In Christ we can be. In whatever, wherever those situations are. And again, I know there are hurts. I know there are scenarios. I know there are situations. I would be happy to talk with you about it. Don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me cold. Don't hear me judgmental. I grew up in the realities of the topic that we're considering And Julie and I entered our marriage wanting ours to be different. And one of the reasons ours is different is because we wanted it so. And we both by then knew Christ as Savior and by His grace and a church where other couples modeled it and showed us the way how to step into it. It could be what we hungered for more than our parents had had. Well, there's more we could say. We we could continue. Oh, where do I go from here? Oh, one more thing I want to talk about marriage, and I'll wrap. And that is, marriage brings additional responsibilities. Talk about marriage will change. Marriage will make it all better. Marriage brings additional responsibilities. Should I get married? Maybe. Some of you maybe shouldn't get married. Some of you maybe not ready to get married. But married realize if marriage indeed is about meeting the other's needs, it's not about me, it's about meeting somebody else's need, and I still am going to find my fulfillment with walking with the Lord, not in this change of being married circumstance. If all that's true, then be careful what more you take on. We're going backpacking, right? Going backpacking next week. I'm looking forward to it. One of the things that amuses me when I take people backpacking is how much stuff they carry. No, I'm not going to embarrass you, but some people carry some very interesting stuff. I asked one guy if he was bringing his chainsaw. It would be helpful if he brought a chainsaw backpacking. But most people don't bring a chainsaw backpacking, do they? It's a little heavy. Be careful what more you take on in life. Your primary responsibility, in marriage doesn't change this, is your devotion to the Lord. But when you get married, you are taking on more stuff. You are putting more weight in your backpack. Let me, um, let me read, let me see. Verse 32, Paul says, I caution you, if you, if, if you can remain single, you might want to. Why? I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man, verse 33, is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And so he should be. His interests are now divided. The unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. He's not saying that critically. That's a matter of fact. You take on additional responsibility. And if that's your plan... If that's your intention, I, I, I look over this side of the room, especially because there's more younger people. I'm just looking, there's, there's not all of you, but, but there's more younger people over here. If you're planning on getting married, if you're thinking towards getting married, get ready for that. Grab hold of your life. The, um, I, think of the, uh, I think of the father-in-law or, or father-in-law-to-be, the father of the bride, ask the groom just before the man, just before the wedding, so how much money do you have in the bank? That's a good father and father-in-law or father-of-the-bride sort of question, huh? How much money do you have? Are you really going to be able to take care of my daughter? And the groom's response was, well, I'm not sure. I haven't shaken it lately. <laughs> May not be ready. What are you doing? I want to say to young men in particular, if you're going to take on the responsibility of being a husband, of being a groom, And our society today is arguing strongly for irresponsible young men. Our society today is promoting and cultivating irresponsible young men. And I urge you to be different. I urge you to grab hold of your life, to master the responsibilities of your own life if you intend to take on the responsibilities of your own walk with the Lord and somebody else's walk with the Lord, your walk with the Lord together and providing for the issues of life and the needs. Of a, of a wife and a family. Take those responsibilities. Don't take them lightly. Realize and be preparing yourself growing up so that marriage can be not about me, but the bottom line is this. The best At its best, marriage is not about me, but marriage is about glorifying the Lord together. That's what we're after. That's what we're about. That's what we want to see in our marriage, that we together would glorify the Lord who gave us this gift. Paul closes with these words. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place burdens, restrictions upon you, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions and anxieties and troubles and complications as possible. Let's pray. Father, you've given us marriage. You have given us the, the, uh, a blessed gift together within marriage. You've taught us of a way that, that completion for ourselves is outside of ourselves. Lord, that tells us something about you. Father, would you guard us as well from the temptation to be so focused on marriage that, that the, 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 uh, the, the family circle becomes a family idol, that we would think that marriage itself is the answer to our needs when actually walking together in marriage and devotion to you is the answer to our needs. Oh, Lord, would you, would you help the couples in this room the future couples in this room, all of us to help one another in this, to, Lord, to, to walk together like those two in the garden when it was at its best, before sin and hiding and blame came into the picture. Lord, that we might be in harmony with one another and in a relation of devotion together before you. Oh, Lord, bless our marriages and be glorified in them. Help us to pursue that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.